Hey, CNN podcast fans, this is David Axelrod inviting you to listen to my podcast, The Axe Files. I go beyond the sound bites in revealing conversations with the most interesting players in politics. Look for it at cnn.com slash podcast and on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. Welcome back to the CNN Republican presidential debate in Miami, Florida. Mr. Trump, let me start with you. Last night you told CNN, quote, Islam hates us. Did you mean all 1.6 billion Muslims? I mean a lot of them. I mean a lot of them. Do you want to clarify the comment at all? Well, you know, I've been watching the debate today, and they're talking about radical Islamic terrorism or radical Islam, but... I will tell you, there's something going on that maybe you don't know about and maybe a lot of other people don't know about, but there's tremendous hatred, and I will stick with exactly what I said to Anderson Cooper. Senator Rubio, your supporter, Republican Senator Jeff Sessions, said in response to Mr. Trump's comment last night, I'm sorry, Senator Jeff Flake, I apologize, uh, your, your supporters, Republican Senator Jeff Flake, said in response to that comment, Republicans are better than this. Do you agree? Well, let me say... I know that a lot of people find appeal in the things Donald says because he says what people wish they could say. The problem is presidents can't just say anything they want. It has consequences here and around the world. And so let me give you one. Two days ago, I met this extraordinary couple who are on furlough because they're missionaries in Bangladesh. It's a very tough place to be a missionary. It's Muslim. And their safety and security very much relies upon friendly Muslims that live alongside them that may not convert, but protect them and certainly look out for them. And their mission field really are Muslims that are looking to convert to Christianity as well. And they tell me that today they have a very hostile environment in which to operate in because the news is coming out that in America, leading political figures are saying that America doesn't like Muslims. So this has a real impact. There is no doubt that radical, uh, radical Islam is a danger in the world. I can also tell you that if you go to any national cemetery, especially Arlington, you're going to see crescent moons there. You're going to, if you go anywhere in the world, you're going to see American men and women serving us in uniform that are Muslims. And they love America. And as far as I know, no one on this stage has served in uniform in the United States military. Anyone out there that has the uniform of the United States on and is willing to die for this country is someone that loves America, no matter what their religious background may be. Mr. Trump. Marco talks about consequences. Well, we've had a lot of consequences, including airplanes flying into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and could have been the White House. Uh, there have been a lot of problems. Now, you can say what you want, and you can be politically correct if you want. I don't want to be so politically correct. I like to solve problems. We have a serious, serious problem of hate. There is tremendous hate. There is tremendous hate. We're large portions of a group of people, Islam. Large portions want to use very, very harsh means. Now, let me go a step further. Women are treated horribly. You know that. You do know that. Women are treated horribly, and other things are happening that's, that are very, very bad. Now, I will say this. There is tremendous hatred. The question was asked, what do you think? And I said, there is hatred. Now, it would be very easy for me to say something differently. 
And everybody would say, oh, isn't that wonderful? Mr. Trump, we better you. We better solve the problem before it's too late. Senator Rubio. Here we go. See, I'm not interested in being politically correct. I'm not interested in being politically correct. I'm interested in being correct. And in, and, and in order to be correct on this issue, here's the bottom line. We do work. There is. Islam, Islam has a major problem on its hands. It has a significant percentage of its adherents, particularly in the Sunni faith, but also in the Shia, who have been radicalized and are willing to fly planes into a building and kill innocent people. There is no doubt about that. It is also true that if you look around the world at the challenges we face, we are going to have to work together with, other, with Muslims who, do not, who are not radicals. We're going to have to work with the Jordanian kingdom. We're going to have to work with the Saudis. We're going to have to work with the Gulf kingdoms. We're going to have to work with the Egyptians to defeat, for example, ISIS. It will take a Sunni Arab movement to defeat them. And so I think you can be correct without needing to be politically correct. We are going to have to work with people in the Muslim faith, even as Islam itself faces a serious crisis within it Thank of you, radicalization. Senator. Governor Kasich. Do you think Islam hates us? No, I don't. I think there is a sect of, of uh, you know, this radical Islam uh, that is really, really serious and, and is, poses the greatest threat to us today. There isn't any question. And that's why the whole world has to work together to make sure that we don't have proliferation of these weapons of mass destruction. But look, I was there when, um, and saw it when the Egyptian ambassador to the United States was in the Rose Garden bringing the Arab Muslim world to work with us to repel Saddam Hussein from Kuwait. The fact is, is that if we're going to defeat ISIS, we're going to have to have these countries. And they are Egypt, and they are Saudi Arabia, and they are Jordan, and they are the Gulf states. And we're going to have to have, in some way or another, a reapprochement with Turkey. And I frankly think the Europeans went in the wrong direction when they rejected Turkey from joining into the economic uh, sphere of Europe. The simple fact of the matter is, a lot of these Muslim countries are they are just, they can't believe the stuff they see out of people who have distorted their faith. Look, the people who represent radical Islam, they want to destroy everything that we're about and other Muslims who don't share their view. But at the end of the day, we've got to bring the world together, the civilized world, and we all speak with one voice to make sure that people who sit on the fence understand what civilization is, and we represent it and equality and hope for everybody. Thank you, Governor Kasich. Mr. Trump, I want to ask you about something else you said during the course of this campaign. You said that the U.S. has to, quote, take out the families of terrorists. When it was pointed out that targeting civilians is against the Geneva Conventions, you said, quote, so they can kill us, but we can't kill them. It is against federal, military, and international law to target civilians. So how will you order the military to target the families of suspected terrorists while also abiding by the law? First of all, let me go back to the other just for a second. In large mosques in all over the Middle East, you have people chanting death to the USA. Now, that does not sound like a friendly act to me. As far as the families are concerned and as far as the law is concerned, we have a law. This all started with your question on waterboarding. We have a law that doesn't allow right now waterboarding. They have no laws. They have no rules. They have no regulations. They chop off heads. They drown 40, 50, 60 people at a time in big steel cages, pull them up an hour later, everyone dead, and we're working on a different set of, of parameters. Now, we have to obey the laws, okay? Have to obey the laws, but we have to expand those laws because we have to be able to fight on at least somewhat of an equal footing or we will never, ever 
knock out ISIS and all of the others that are so bad. We better expand our laws or we're being a bunch of suckers and they are laughing at us. They are laughing at us, believe me. Senator Rubio, would you as president pursue a policy of targeting the families of suspected terrorists? No, of course not. And we don't have to in order to defeat terrorists. The way you defeat terrorists is pretty straightforward. It's difficult to do, but it has to be done. When I'm president of the United States, the best intelligence agencies in the world that right now have been hamstrung, they're going to be expanded, and the best intelligence agencies in the world are going to find terrorists. And then the best military in the world, which needs to be rebuilt because, because Barack Obama is gutting our military, he's going to leave us with the smallest army since the end of World War II, and the smallest navy in a century, and the smallest air force we've ever had, we are going to rebuild that military, and that built military is going to find the terrorists and destroy them. And if we capture any of these terrorists alive, they're not going to have the right to remain silent, and they're not going to go to a courtroom in Manhattan. They're going to go to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, and we will find out everything they know, and we'll do so legally. Senator Cruz, you've talked about changing the rules of engagement in battle against ISIS. Would that include targeting the families of suspected terrorists? Uh, no, of course not. We've never targeted innocent civilians, and we're not going to start now. But, but listen, Jake, I understand. People are scared, and for seven years we faced terrorist attacks, and President Obama lectures Americans on Islamophobia. That is maddening. But the answer is not simply to yell, China bad, Muslims bad. You've got to understand the nature of the threats we're facing and how you deal with them. And yes, it is true, there are millions of radical Islamic terrorists who seek to kill us. We need a president commander-in-chief focused on fighting them. And I'll tell you frankly, one concern I have with Donald is that although his language is quite incendiary, when you look at his substantive policies on Iran, he has said that he would not rip up this Iranian nuclear deal. I think that's a mistake. The Ayatollah Khamenei wants nuclear weapons to murder us. I'll give you another example, dealing with radical Islamic terrorism. On Israel, Donald has said he wants to be neutral between Israel and the Palestinians. As president, I will not be neutral. And let me say this week, a Texan, Taylor Force, he was an Eagle Scout, he was a West Point graduate, he was an Army veteran. He was murdered by a Palestinian terrorist this week in Israel. And I don't think we need a commander-in-chief who is neutral between the Palestinian Thank terrorist you. and one of our strongest allies in the world, the nation Thank of Israel. You, Senator Cruz. M Mr. Trump, we're going to come to you in a second, but wait, okay. I, I want to go to Hugh Hewitt, who has questions on this exact line of subject. Uh, Mr. Trump, I want to follow up on the, the, the quote that uh, Senator Cruz used. You said you would want to be, quote, sort of a neutral guy. He did mention Taylor Force. He was a West Point graduate. He was a war hero. He was a Vanderbilt graduate student. He was killed in a Palestinian terror attack near Tel Aviv. Many others were killed. And the Israeli government says the Palestinian Authority is inciting this. Do you still want to stay neutral when the Palestinian Authority is inciting these attacks? Uh, first of all, there's nobody on this stage that's more pro-Israel than I am. Okay? There's nobody. I am pro-Israel. I was the... I was the Grand Marshal, not so long ago, of the Israeli Day Parade down Fifth Avenue. I've made massive contributions to Israel. I have a, a lot of... I have tremendous love for Israel. I happen to have a son-in-law and a daughter that are Jewish, okay? And two grandchildren that are Jewish. But I will tell you, I think if we're going to ever negotiate a peace settlement, which every Israeli wants, and I've spoken to the toughest and the sharpest, they all want peace, I think it would be much more helpful 
is I'm a negotiator. If I go in, I'll say I'm pro-Israel, and I've told that to everybody and anybody that would listen. But I would like to at least have the other side think I'm somewhat neutral as to them so that we can maybe get a deal done. Maybe we can get a deal. I think it's probably the toughest negotiation of all time. But maybe we can get a deal done. As far as, and by the way, just so you understand, as far as Iran, I would have never made that deal. I think it's maybe the worst deal I've ever seen. I think it's the worst deal I've ever seen negotiated. I will be so tough on them, and ultimately that deal will be broken unless they behave better than they've ever behaved Thank in their lives, which is probably unlikely. Senator and that Cruz deal and will Senator be Rubio. You know, we need a president who understands the national security interest of this country. The reason we are friends and allies with Israel is they are a liberal democratic country that share our values. They're our strongest ally in the region. We get billions in intelligence resources, billions in military resources. And the Palestinian Authority that Donald, along with Hillary Clinton and, and Barack Obama, say they want to treat neutrally the same as Israel, the Palestinian Authority is in a unity government with Hamas, a terrorist organization. They pay the families of these terrorists who murder people. and and. This is exactly the moral relativism Barack Obama has. And, and the answer is not scream all Muslims bad. Let me give you an example of a Muslim, for example, we ought to be standing with. President al-Sisi of Egypt, a president of a Muslim country who is targeting radical Islamic terrorists. Senator He's Rubio. hunting them down and stopping them. Thank Our you. focus needs to be on keeping this country safe. I, I want to go back to the Israeli government's yeah. assertion that the Palestinian Authority is inciting the convulsion of violence. Do you the, agree? Well, that, that's undeniable. First of all, they've said that they've encouraged people to do so. And you've seen the speeches of the Palestinian Authority president talking about how glorious this is that they're doing these sorts of things. But let me go back for a moment. The policy Donald has outlined I don't know if he realizes, is, is an anti-Israeli policy. Maybe that's not your intent, but here's why it is an anti-Israeli policy. There is no peace deal possible with the Palestinians at this moment. There just isn't, because there's no one to negotiate with. The Palestinian Authority is not interested in a serious deal, and they are now in union with Hamas, an organization whose specific purpose is the destruction of the Jewish state. Every time that Israel has turned over territory of any kind, be it Gaza or now in Judea and Samaria, it is used as a launching pad to attack Israel. And that's what will happen again. These groups are not interested in a deal with Israel. What they are interested in is ultimately re removing the Jewish state and occupying its entire territory. So maybe in 30 years the conditions will exist, so Mr. Trump, but they do not exist to now. Okay, and to have a president forcing the Israelis to the table is harmful to Israel you, and emboldens Israel's enemies. Mr. Trump, a response, and we'll go to Governor Cook. If, if I become president of the United States, one of the things that will be an absolute priority is, number one, protection of Israel, but also seeing if a deal can be made. The toughest deal, the toughest negotiation there probably is of any kind, no matter where you look, no matter how hard you look. But I would like to give it a shot. Very, very pro-Israel. Nobody more pro-Israel, but I would love to give it a shot. And I have to tell you this year, I have friends, Israelis, non-Israelis, people from New York City that happen to be Jewish and love Israel. Every single, and some are very tough people, every single one of them, they know it's tough, but every single one of them wants to see if we could ever have peace in Israel. And some believe it's possible. It may not be, in which case we'll find out, but it would be a priority if I become president Governor to see if Kasich, I could do Do you agree with the Israeli government that the Palestinian Authority <laughs> is inciting this violence? Well, there's no question. They were uh, saying that the Israelis intended to go to the Dome of the Rock I mean, when you think about this, uh, thank goodness we work with the Israelis to give them the Iron Dome. 
and, uh, you know, it, where they could protect themselves against all the missiles that were flying in. Could you imagine living in, like in Miami here and have people shooting missiles in? Secondly, there was just an article the other day, Hugh, that I know you're familiar with, where the Israelis are learning to train underground in combat because the Palestinians now, Hamas in particular, is digging these tunnels trying to get under Israel. They're coming at them from above. They're trying to come at them from under the ground. And I just have to tell you this. I don't believe there is any long-term permanent peace solution. And I think pursuing that's the wrong thing to do. I believe that every day that we can have stability in that region by supporting the Israelis and making sure they have the weapons and the security that they need with our 100% backing is the way to proceed in the Middle East in regard to Israel. Senator Cruz, I want to stay in the region. Just this week, the head of U.S. Central Command, General Lloyd Austin, essentially said it's going to take a lot more troops on the ground to uh, fix, to end the ISIS threat in Syria and Iraq. From the beginning of this campaign, you have said you will follow the judgment of military commanders in the Pentagon. So here's a commander saying we need a lot more troops on the ground. Will you follow that advice and inject Americans again into what is, in essence, a metastasizing Sunni-Shia civil war? We need to do whatever is necessary to utterly defeat ISIS. And, And that needs to be driven not by politicians, but by military expertise and judgment. Right now, we're not using a fraction of the tools that we have. We're not using our overwhelming air power. We're not arming the Kurds. Those need to be the first steps. And then we need to put whatever ground power is needed to carry it out. But, you know, a question that actually Jake asked, and I'm glad to come back to it now, is rules of engagement. We have right now our troops engaged in combat, but President Obama has rules of engagement that are so strict that their arms are tied behind their back. They're not able to fight. They're not able to defend themselves. They're not able to kill the enemy. And I got to tell you, Hugh, I think that is wrong. It is immoral. And I give my word to every soldier, sailor, and airman and marine, and every wife and husband, every son and daughter, every mother and father, that will end in January 2017. Governor Kasich, if it takes 20 or 30,000, if the Pentagon says that's what needs to be done, (laughs) will you follow their advice? You, I've said all along and laid out my foreign policy, I'm going to remind everybody that 55% of the foreign policy experts in this country said I was the best to be commander-in-chief. I spent 18 years on the Defense Committee, Armed Services, and then I was in the Pentagon uh, with Donald Rumsfeld after 9-11, in and out for a couple years. We absolutely have to win this with a coalition. The Arabs have to be with us. The Europeans have to understand that this threat is closer to them than even is closer to, is as close as it is to us. And in addition to that, you have to be in the air and you have to be on the ground and you bring all the force you need. It's got to be shock and awe in the, in the military speak. Then once it gets done, and we will wipe them out, once it gets done, it settles down, we come Thank home and let the regional powers Mr. redraw Trump. the map if that's what it takes. Mr. Trump, more troops? We really have no choice. We have to knock out ISIS. We have to knock the hell out of them. We have to get rid of it. And then we have to come back here and rebuild our country, which is falling apart. How many? We have no choice. I would listen to the generals, but I would I'm hearing numbers of 20 to 30,000. We have to knock them out fast. Look, we're not allowed to fight. We can't fight. We're not knocking out the oil because they don't want to create environmental pollution up in the air. I mean, these are things that nobody even believes. They think we're kidding. They didn't want to knock out the oil because of what it's going to do to the carbon footprint. We don't fight like we used to fight. We used to fight to win. Now we fight for no reason whatsoever. We don't even know what we're doing. So 
The answer is we have to knock them out. We have to knock them out fast, and we have to get back home, and we have to rebuild our country, which is falling apart. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Let's turn from current conflicts to those who have served in conflicts. Senator Rubio, according to a VA study, of the 22 veterans who commit suicide every day, 17 of them have no connection to the VA. The VA believes that this lack of connection is one of the reasons for this tragically high suicide rate. What specifically would you do as president to make sure that veterans in crisis are able to get the help they need? Well, first, let me say that uh, one out of four calls to our office these days is about a veteran here in Florida that's struggling with a VA. My brother's a veteran. He's struggling with a VA. The other day, we heard this horrible story. It was a headline in the USA Today, and it said, calls to the VA suicide hotline went to voicemail. Well, about a few days ago, we now found out that one of the gentlemen, one of the veterans who left a voicemail, committed suicide. And they happened to call him back the day after he died. People need to be held accountable for this. One of the things I'm proudest of is that in my time in the U.S. Senate, working with Jeff Miller here from Florida, in a bipartisan way, and I'll give him credit, Bernie Sanders was a part of this, we passed the VA accountability bill. And what it did is it created now a law that gives the VA secretary, because of the law I passed, it gives the VA secretary the power to fire people that aren't doing a good job. Senior executives should be held accountable if the VA outreach isn't working. The problem is no one's being held accountable. Even after we passed that law, no one's been fired for no outreach. No one's been fired for calls going to the voicemail. No one's been disciplined. No one's been demoted. When I'm president of the United States, if you work at the VA and you are not doing a good job, you will be fired from your job at the VA. Governor Kasich, the Veterans Affairs Department is one of the biggest line items in the domestic budget. As part of its attempt to cut costs, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives just voted to try to reduce spending in the post-9-11 GI Bill. Should veterans' benefits be part of attempts to reduce the deficit? I, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I haven't seen the, the, uh, uh, the provisions of that bill, Jake. My initial instincts are no. And let me just say about the VA, when a veteran comes home, they ought to have access to health care wherever they want to go at any time, number one. Number two, the Veterans Administration needs to be restructured. It needs to be downsized and spread out. It, it, it needs to be so responsive to the needs of the veterans. And secondly, the Pentagon needs to share the information of returning veterans with the veteran service operations in the states and with the job people in the states so that when a veteran comes home, they can be linked with a job. And when that happens, that means that every veteran will get work because they're our golden employees. No veteran ought to be without health care. No veteran ought to be homeless. And no veteran ought to be unemployed in the United States of America. Thank you, Governor Kasich. Let's turn to another issue of real importance here in Florida. Just over a week from now, President Obama will visit Cuba. The first time in 88 years that a sitting U.S. president will set foot in Cuba. Two of you on this stage have parents who were born in Cuba and moved to the United States. Let's go back to my colleague, Dana Bash. Senator Rubio, Donald Trump agrees with President Obama uh, in his decision to re-engage diplomatically in Cuba. The majority of Americans seem to agree with that as well. So why are President Obama, Donald Trump, and the majority of Americans wrong? Well, I would love the relationship between Cuba and the United States to change. But it will require Cuba to change, at least its government. Today, it has not. The fact of the matter is that after these changes were made, 
After these changes were made, there are now millions and hundreds of millions of dollars that will flow to the Castro regime. It will now allow them to become set permanent and in stone. They will now be able to carry out a transition where the military continues to run the country there. They'll put a puppet figure forward as their new president, and nothing will change for the Cuban people. There has not been a single democratic opening, not a single change on the island in human rights. In fact, things are worse than they were before this opening. The only thing that's changed as a result of this opening is that now the Cuban government has more sources of money from which to build out their repressive apparatus and maintain themselves there permanently. And we ask nothing in return. Compare that to the changes that were required in Burma. And by no means is Burma a perfect country. But at least when there was a democratic opening to Burma, they were required to make some democratic openings. When there was a diplomatic opening, it required democratic opening. And today, the former minority party is now the majority party in their legislative body. He asked nothing in return, and we are getting nothing in return. And Cuba and its regime remains an anti-American communist dictatorship, helped North Korea evade UN sanctions, is harboring fugitives of American justice, including people stealing our medical Medicare money and moving back to Cuba, all in exchange for nothing. Mr. Trump, you said the concept of opening Cuba is fine. You said the concept of opening Cuba is fine. Why do you agree with President Obama and disagree with what well, Senator Rubio really said? I really agree with President Obama. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I, what I want is I want a much better deal to be made because right now Cuba is making as usual with our country. We don't make good deals. We don't have our right people negotiating. We have people that don't have a clue. As an example, I heard recently where the threat was made that they want reparations for years of abuse by the United States and nobody's talking about it and they'll end up signing a deal and then we'll get sued for $400 billion or a trillion dollars. All that stuff has to be agreed to now. We don't want to get sued after the deal is made. So I don't agree with President Obama. I do agree that something should be should take place. After 50 years, it's enough time, folks. But. We have to make a good deal, and we have to get rid of all the litigation that's going to happen. This was just a little story, but it was a big story to me, because I said, oh, here we go. We make a deal, then we get sued for a tremendous amount of money for reparations. So I want to do something, but it's got to be done intelligently. We have to make a good deal. Senator Ruby, I know you want to get in, but just to be clear, Mr. Trump, are you saying that if you were president, you would continue the diplomatic relations or would you reverse them? I would want to make a good deal. I would want to make a strong, solid, good deal because right now everything is in Cuba's favor. Right now, everything, every single aspect of this deal is in Cuba's favor. It's the same way as the Iran deal. We never walked. We never. We, all we do is but keep giving. We give. Mr. And Trump, give just and to give. be clear, there is an embassy that you would have to decide whether it would be open or whether you would close it. Which would it be? In I would, Havana. I would probably uh, have the embassy closed until such time as a really good deal was made and struck by the United States. All right. First of all, the, uh, the embassy is the former consulate. It's the same building, so it could just go back to being called a consulate. We don't have to close it that way. Second of all, I don't know where Cuba's going to sue us, but if they sue us in a court in Miami, they're going to lose. Third, <laughs> uh, third, uh, on the issue of, of a good deal, I know what the good deal is. I'll tell you what the good deal now is already codified. Here's a good deal. Cuba has free elections. Cuba stops putting people in jail for, for speaking out. Cuba has freedom of the press. Cuba kicks out the Russians from Lourdes and kicks out this Chinese listening station in Behukal. Cuba stops helping North Korea invade UN sanctions. Cuba takes all of those fugitives of American justice, including that cop killer from New Jersey, and send her back to the United States and to jail where she belongs. And you know what? Then we can have a relationship with Cuba. Thank That's a good deal. Thank you, Senator Rubio. Senator Cruz.
Would you reverse course and once again break diplomatic relations with Cuba? Uh, yes, I would. And, and, you know, I think this exchange actually highlights a real choice for Republican primary voters. When it comes to foreign policy, do you want to continue on the same basic trajectory as the last seven years of the Obama foreign policy? When it comes to these deals, Cuba and Iran, they were negotiated by Hillary Clinton and John Kerry. There's a real difference between us. Donald supported Hillary Clinton and John Kerry. And what he said right now is that he agrees in principle with what they're doing. The only thing he thinks is that they should negotiate a little bit better deals. They should be more effective. I have a fundamental disagreement, and I think most Republicans and most Americans do, that we shouldn't be allowing billions of dollars to go to nations that hate us, to go to Cuba, to go to Iran, and to let them use those billions of dollars to try to murder us. Well... If Ted was listening, he would have heard me say something very similar. I said, we would not do the deal unless it was going to be a very good deal for us. And I think I said it loud, and I think I said it very clear. And I think after 50 years, and I have many friends, I own many properties in Miami, many, many, and I have many people that know and and they feel exactly the way I do. Uh, Make a deal, it would be great, but it's got to be a great deal for the United States, not a bad deal for the United States. As far as Iran is concerned, I would have never made that deal. That is one of the worst deals ever, ever made by this country. It is a disaster. So for Ted to say, I agree with that deal, I mean, it's a staple in my speeches that that may be the worst single deal I've ever seen negotiated. So don't try and put it on me like it's uh, wonderful, like I love it. Senator Cruz, your response? Well, look, I'll point out, first of all, it is a matter of public record that Donald supported John Kerry in 2004 over George W. Bush, and he supported Hillary Clinton, gave her two checks in her presidential campaign in 2008. And indeed, once she was Secretary of State, he described her as one of the greatest Secretary of States in history. And, you know, the point on the Iran deal, his answer to everything is if only someone smarter were in government, things would be better. No, we don't just need smarter people in government. We need leaders that are protecting American interests. And when it comes to Iran, Donald has said he would leave the agreement in place and try to renegotiate it, giving the Ayatollah Khamenei over $100 billion. That reflects you do not understand the radical Islamic terrorist that is the Ayatollah that wants to murder us. We need a commander-in-chief that understands our enemies, understands and doesn't give them billions of dollars to threaten our safety and security. I was against the giving of the money at all cost. I said, don't negotiate at all until you get the prisoners back. If the prisoners don't come back early, three years ago, one of the longest negotiations I've ever seen, by the way, if they don't come back early, I was saying, don't negotiate. They come back early. What you do is you take it back and you say, either give us the prisoners or we double up the sanctions. And what we should have done is doubled up the sanctions and made a much better deal, because that deal is a disaster. But Ted, the money is largely gone because of incompetent and very, very poor negotiators. But that money, the $150 billion, is largely gone and already spent everywhere. Thank but you, in Mr. The Trump. Um, let's refocus this back on Cuba. Governor Kasich, a pair of entrepreneurs from Alabama and North Carolina have just received approval to build the first U.S. factory in Cuba, making uh, tractors for small farms. 
This is a direct result of President Obama's new policy in Cuba that we've been talking about. If you are elected president, would you encourage more U.S. companies to do business like that in Cuba? No, I wouldn't. I, listen, I think the problem with the administration, if you talk to our friends around the world, our friends around the world, they say, what is America doing? You know, you don't support us. We can't figure out where you are. You won't arm the, uh, the freedom fighters in Ukraine. We let the Russians trump up some excuse on the business of, you know, Russian-speaking people. You had a red line in Syria. You walked away from it. You refused to fund the Syrian rebels. You undercut Egypt, and we ended up with the Muslim Brotherhood for a while. And, the, and then we turn our back at Netanyahu when he comes to Congress to talk about his concerns of the Iranian deal. Look. I know in human nature sometimes there's a sense that you make better with your enemies than you do with your friends. And you know what happens when you do that? You make a terrible mistake. You need to support your friends. You need to hold your enemies out here and you need to negotiate tough deals. The fact is they need to understand who we are. The Chinese understand they don't own the South China Sea. They have to stop hacking everything we have in this country or we'll take out their systems. We will arm the Ukrainians so that they have lethal defensive aid. We will destroy ISIS. And Mr. Putin, you better understand you're either with us or you're against us. We're not rattling a sword. You're not our enemy, but we're not going to put up with this nonsense any longer. And a strong America is what the entire world is begging for. Where has America gone? is what many of our allies say around the world. I'm president. They're going to know exactly you, where Governor. we are because we're coming back. Thank you, Governor. While we're discussing issues of importance to Floridians, I reached out to the Republican mayor of Miami, Tomas Regalado, to find out what he wanted to hear from you this evening. Mayor Regalado told me, quote, Climate change means rising ocean levels, which in South Florida means flooding downtown and in our neighborhoods. It's an everyday reality in our city. Will you, as president, acknowledge the reality of the scientific consensus about climate change? And as president, will you pledge to do something about it? Unquote. Senator Rubio, the Miami mayor, has endorsed you. Will you honor his request for a pledge and acknowledge the reality of the scientific consensus of climate well, change and pledge to do something sure, about it? Sure, the climate is changing. And one of the reasons why the climate is changing is because the climate has always been changing. There has never been a time when the climate has not changed. I think the fundamental question for a policymaker is, is the climate changing because of something we are doing? And if so, is there a law you can pass to fix it? So on the issue of flooding in Miami, it's caused by two things. Number one, South Florida is largely built on land that was once a swamp. And number two, because if there is higher sea levels or whatever it may be happening, we do need to deal with that through mitigation. And I have long supported mitigation efforts. But as far as a law that we can pass in Washington to change the weather, there's no such thing. On the contrary, there is, a, there is laws they want us to pass. There are laws they want us to pass that would be devastating for our economy. The, or, or these programs like what the president's put in with the Clean Power Act or all these sorts of things that he's forcing down our throat on the war on coal. Let me tell you who's going to pay the price of that. Americans are going to pay the price of that. The cost of doing that is going to be rammed down the throat of the American consumer, the single parent, the working family who are going to see increases in the cost of living, the businesses who are going to leave America because it's more expensive to do business here than anywhere else. And you know what passing those laws would have, what impact they would have on the environment? Zero. Because China is still going to be polluting and India is still going to be polluting at historic levels. So I am in favor of a clean environment. My children live in South Florida. My family's being raised here. I want this to be a safe and clean place, but these laws some people mm -hmm. are asking us to pass will do nothing for the environment and they will hurt and devastate our economy. So just to clarify, Senator Rubio, <laughs> Mayor Rigolato, when he talks about the reality of the scientific consensus about climate change, 
the Republican mayor of Miami, he, he's saying the scientific consensus is that man does contribute to climate, climate change. When you talk to him, because he is the mayor of Miami and he has endorsed yeah. you, you tell him that he's wrong? I would say to him that there is no law that they want us to pass that would have any impact on that. If we passed, if you took the, the gift list of all of these groups that are asking us to pass these laws and did every single one of them, there would be no change in our environment. Sea level would still rise. All these other things that are happening would continue to go on for a lot of different reasons. One, because America is not a planet. It's a country. And number two, because these other countries like India and China are more than making up in carbon emission for whatever we could possibly cut. Here's what he will immediately, and, I, and Mayor Regalado is a great mayor and a good friend, but here's what he's immediately going to start hearing from. He will immediately start hearing from families in South Florida who are barely making it by, and now their electric bill went up $20 or $30 a month because we've just made it more expensive to generate power. Thank you, Senator. That cost will be passed on to working families. I am not going to destroy the U.S. economy for a law that will do nothing for our environment. Governor Kasich, what would you say to the mayor of Miami? Well, I, 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 do believe, I do believe we contribute to climate change, but I don't think it has to be a, you know, either you're for uh, some, some environmental stringent rules or, or you know, you're not going to have any jobs. The fact is you can have both. In our state, we've re reduced emissions by 30 percent. But let me tell you also what we're trying to do. We want all the sources of energy. We want to dig coal, but we want to clean it when we burn it. We believe in natural gas. We believe in nuclear power. And you know what else I believe in? I happen to believe in solar energy, wind energy, efficiency. Renewables matter. Now, it doesn't mean because you pursue a policy of being sensitive to the environment, because we don't know how much humans actually contribute, but it is important we develop renewables. A battery technology can unleash an entirely different world. So the fact is, is that you can have a strong envir environmental policy at the same time that you have strong economic growth. Thank they you, are Governor. not inconsistent with one another. Thank you, Governor. Senator Cruz, I, I, want a little talk, I want to talk a little bit right now about how you gentlemen see the world. Um, Senator Cruz, uh, Colin Powell this week said that the nasty tone of this presidential election is hurting the image of the U.S. abroad. He said, quote, foreigners of the world looking at this are distressed. Does it matter to you? what the rest of the world thinks of the United States? Uh, of course it does. And, and we've seen for seven years a president that has made the presidency and, and has made, sadly, his administration a laughingstock in the world. Th th this administration started with President Obama sending back the bust of Winston Churchill to the United Kingdom within the opening weeks. Then he proceeded to go on a worldwide apology tour, apologizing for the United States of America. Our friends and allies quickly learned America could not be counted on. I'll tell you, when I travel abroad, when I meet with heads of states and defense ministers and foreign ministers, they say over and over again, it is hard to be friends with America. We can't count on America. America doesn't stand with us. And that is a disgrace. But the good news is, Jake, we've seen this before. We have seen a weak Democratic president undermine the military, weaken our readiness, weaken our respect in the world with Jimmy Carter. And in January 1981, Ronald Reagan came into office, and that can change overnight. It's worth remembering, Iran released our hostages the day Ronald Reagan was sworn into office. And America needs a president who stands with our friends and allies, as I will do, and who stands up and demonstrates strength to our enemies. That's why on day one, I will rip to shreds this you, catastrophic Senator. Iranian nuclear deal, because the Ayatollah Khamenei must never be allowed 
to acquire nuclear Thank weapons. You, Mr. Trump, some of your Republican critics have expressed concern about comments you have made praising authoritarian dictators. You have said positive things about Putin as a leader and about China's massacre of pro-democracy protesters at Tiananmen Square. You said, quote, when the students poured into Tiananmen Square, the Chinese government almost blew it. Then they were vicious, they were horrible, but they put it down with strength that shows you the power of strength. How do you respond that to... That doesn't mean I was endorsing that. I was not endorsing it. I said that is a strong, powerful government that put it down with strength, and then they kept down the riot. It was a horrible thing. It doesn't mean at all I was endorsing it. As far as Putin is concerned, I think Putin's been a very strong leader for Russia. I mean, he's been a lot stronger than our leader, that I can tell you. I mean, for Russia, that doesn't mean I'm endorsing Putin. But the word strong, obviously, is a compliment. And many people would look at what the Chinese leaders have done and what Putin is doing as atrocities. I used to think Merkel was a great leader until she did what she did to Germany. Germany is a disaster right now. So I used to think that. And strong doesn't mean good. Putin is a strong leader. Absolutely. I could name many strong leaders. I could name very many very weak leaders. But he is a strong leader. Now, I don't say that in a good way or a bad way. I say it as a fact. Governor Kasich, when you were a member of Congress, uh, you were outspoken about the Tiananmen Square massacre. What do you think? I think that the Chinese government butchered those kids. And when that guy stood in front, that young man stood in front of that tank, we ought to build a statue of him over here when he faced down the Chinese government. Now, I will tell you, I don't believe that we need to make China an enemy. They're a competitor. But I want to go back to three things they should do. We should have the heat on them to work in North Korea to get rid of that guy and the things that he's doing, number one. Number two, they need to realize they don't own the South China Sea. And I will compliment the administration for sending some carrier battle group into the South China Sea. And thirdly, when it comes to the issue of cyber attacks, we're going to have to beef up the cyber command. And they need to understand that if you attack us, we will defend ourselves, everything, including our grid. But if you do it, we have the capability to take out your systems. The president has not given the Cyber Command that authority. I will. And uh, when it comes to trade, I will tell you this. They can't manipulate their currency. That will not be uh, anything that I would allow them to get away with. And if I saw them doing it, I would take immediate action to make sure that the American worker is protected. Thank you, Governor Kasich. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll have more of the Republican presidential debate from Miami, Florida, right after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to the CNN Republican presidential debate in Miami, Florida. Mr. Trump. I want to start with you in this block. Earlier today, a man was arrested and charged with assault after sucker punching a protester in the face at your rally in Fayetteville, North Carolina. This is hardly the first incident of violence breaking out at one of your rallies. Today, Hillary Clinton, your potential general election opponent, clearly indicated she sees this as an issue for the campaign. She said, quote, this kind of behavior is repugnant. We set the tone for our campaigns. We should encourage respect, not violence. Do you believe that you've done anything to create a tone where this kind of violence would be encouraged? I hope not. I truly hope not. I will say this. Uh, we have 25, 30,000 people. You've seen it yourself. People come with tremendous passion and love for the country. And when they see protest, in some cases, you know, you're mentioning one case, which I haven't seen. I heard about it. 
which I don't like. But when they see what's going on in this country, they have anger that's unbelievable. They have anger. They love this country. They don't like seeing bad trade deals. They don't like seeing higher taxes. They don't like seeing a loss of their jobs, where our jobs have just been devastated. And I know, I mean, I see it. There is some anger. There's also great love for the country. It's a beautiful thing in many respects, but I certainly do not condone that at all, Jake. Some of your critics point to quotes that you've made at these debate, uh, at these rallies, including um, February 23rd, I'd like to punch him in the face, referring to a protester. February 27th, in the good old days, they'd have ripped him out of that seat so fast. February 1st, knock the crap out of him, would you? Seriously, okay, just knock the hell. I promise you, I will pay for the legal fees. I promise, I promise. We have some protesters who are bad dudes. They have done bad things. They are swinging, they are really dangerous, and they get in there and they start hitting people. And, and we had a couple big, strong, powerful guys doing damage to people, not only the loudness, the loudness I don't mind, but doing serious damage. And if they're going to be taken out, I, I be honest, I mean, we have to run something. And it's not me. It's usually the municipal government, the police, because I don't have guards all over these stadiums. I mean, we fill up stadiums. Uh, it's usually the police. And, and by the way, speaking of the police, we should pay our respects to the police because they are taking tremendous abuse of this country and they do a phenomenal job. So we should pay. We should truly give our police, they're incredible people, we should give them a great deal more respect than they receive. Senator Cruz, are you concerned at all that these kinds of scenes potentially hurt the Republican Party for the general election? Uh, listen, I think for every one of us, we need to show respect to the people. We, we need to remember who it is we're working for. Uh, you, know, you know, we've seen for seven years a president who believes he's above the law, who behaves like an emperor, who, who it is all about him, and, for, and he forgot that he's working for the American people. I mean, I mean, let, me, let, let me ask, to turn the camera out here, how many of y'all feel disrespected by Washington? Washington isn't listening to the people, and that's the frustration that is boiling over and we need to nominate and elect a president who remembers he works for the people. You know, at, at, at Donald's rallies recently, he's taken to asking people in, in the crowd to raise their hand and pledge their support to him. Now, I got to say to me, I, I think that's exactly backwards. This is a job interview. We are here pledging our support to you, not the other way around. And the only hand-raising that I'm interested in doing is on January 20th, 2017, raising my hand with my left hand on the Bible and pledging to the American people to preserve, protect, you, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Mr. Trump, if you'd like to respond. It shows the total dishonesty of the press. We were having, a few, on a few occasions, again, massive crowds, and we're talking, and I'm saying, Who's going to vote on Tuesday? Who's going to vote? The place goes crazy. Then I say, hey, do me a favor. Raise your right hand. Do you swear you're going to vote for Donald Trump? Everyone's laughing. We're all having a good time. And, you know, that's why I have much bigger crowds than Ted, because we have a good time on that thing. But, but, but we're all having a good time. And the next day on the Today Show, 
and a couple of other places, not too many, because when you look at it, everyone's smiling, laughing, their arms are raised like this. They had pictures, still pictures, of people, and they tried to equate it to Nazi Germany. It is a disgrace. It was a total disgrace. And I've had reporters, people that you know, come up to me and said that what they did on the Today Show was a disgrace. Governor Kasich, do you worry about the scenes of violence at some of these rallies affecting the Republican Party's chances in November? Well, I worry about the violence at a rally, period. I mean, it's, you know, elections are important, but the unity of this country really matters. Jake, here is what I think is happening. There are people out there who are worried about their jobs. They're worried that somebody's going to come in and tell them they're out of work and they're 54 years old and they don't know where they're going to get another job, a man and a woman. Uh, Maybe they're worried about a trade deal. They're worried about the fact that their wages haven't gone up. They're worried that their kids went to college and the promise was you go to college, you get a job, things are going to be great. They went to college, they rang up debt, and they're still living in their parents' basement. People are uptight. Our seniors are worried they're going to lose their Social Security. There's two ways to treat it. You can either prey on that and be, and be negative about it, or you can tell people that these things can be fixed. If we're Americans, rather than Republicans and Democrats, we get together, we can solve all of these problems. We can provide financial security. We can drive the wages up. We can get kids jobs with a more robust economy. And you know what? They want to help solve these problems Thank right you, where Governor. they live, and I'll give them the power to do Senator it. Senator Rubio, I know you want to say something. I do. A couple points. The first is I'm concerned about violence in general in this society. And by the way, the first people that are facing that violence are our law enforcement officers. And they deserve our respect, and they deserve our thanks for what the, they deserve our thanks for everything they do for us. On the issue of anger, yes, people are angry. Of course they're angry. Every institution in America has been failing us for the better part of 20 or 30 years. But leadership is not about using the anger. The leadership is about using the anger to motivate us, not to define us, but to motivate us to take action. Being here in Miami special, my grandfather lived with us most of our life, uh, most of his life while I was growing up. And he would sit in the porch of our home and tell me all kinds of stories and things I learned about history. My grandfather was born in 1899 before there were airplanes in the sky. One night in the summer of 1969, he watched a man set foot on the moon. You know what he said when he saw that? He said, Americans can do anything. Americans can do anything. There is no problem before us we cannot solve, and we can solve it if we come together in a serious way in this generation Thank you, and embrace all of the principles that made us great to Thank begin you, with. Thank you, Senator. <clears throat> the math suggests that it's possible that not one of you will reach the magic number of 1,237 delegates before the Republican convention, which would mean a contested convention. Let's go back to Salem Radio's Hugh Hewitt. Thank you, Jake. Uh, Governor Kasich, the math and the map say that you can only become the nominee if, in fact, there is a contested convention. If we arrive on the shores of Lake Erie, Donald Trump has the most delegates. Why shouldn't the person with the most delegates, even if it's not a majority of delegates, be the nominee? Well, well, first of all, let's not, you know, math doesn't tell the whole story in politics. (laughs) You know, the great thing about politics, you know, the reason why we watch it is because what's true today is not necessarily true tomorrow. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. Secondly, look, when you went to school up there in, in Salem, Ohio, okay, if you got an 86, you got a B. Because everybody else had an 84 didn't mean you got an A. So you just have to win enough delegates to be the nominee. And frankly, I don't know if we're going to get at a convention like that, but if we do, I was at one in 1976 as a wee lad and supported Ronald Reagan and actually worked directly with him. He tried valiantly. He lost. Gerald Ford won. The party was united. Gerald Ford served the country great by 
pardoning uh, Richard Nixon. He lost the election probably because of that, but he put America first. And we were healed as a, as a, as a uh, party. So, look, you have to earn the delegates in order to be picked. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We don't know what's going to happen because we still have about half the delegates to be selected. And that's what's going to be a very interesting thing to see how it all turns out as we move forward over the next couple of weeks. Thank you, Governor. Mr. Trump, <clears throat> if you arrive in Cleveland with a plurality and the most, but not a majority, is it legitimate for someone else to emerge from that convention, uh, the nominee, and if so, would you support that person? I think that what should happen, getting back maybe a little bit to your first question, I think that uh, whoever, uh, first of all, I think I'm going to have the delegates, okay? I think. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. But if somebody doesn't have the delegates, and I guess there's two of us up here that can, and there are two of us that cannot at this moment. But if some, no, that's just, that's, by the way, that is not meant to be a criticism. That's just a mathematical fact, okay? If two of us uh, get up there, I, I would say this. If, if Marco, if the governor, if Ted had more votes than me in the form of delegates, I think whoever gets to that top position, as opposed to solving that artificial number that was set by somebody, which is a very random number, I think that whoever gets the most delegates should win. That's what I think. Senator Cruz, if you, if you overtake Donald Trump at the convention, mm -hmm. what will you do to take his very passionate supporters right. and keep them from bolting the convention and right. sabotaging the fall election? Well, look, there's some folks in Make Washington. President. <laughs> Donald, you are welcome to be president of the Smithsonian. You know, there's some in... in in Washington who, who are having fevered dreams of a brokered convention. Uh, they're unhappy with how the people are voting and they want to parachute in their favored Washington candidate to be the nominee. I think that would be an absolute disaster and we need to respect the will of the voters. It, it's one of the reasons why in the course of this election, listen, everyone up here has worked very, very hard, but Donald is right. There are only two of us that have a path to winning the nomination, Donald and myself. At this point, I have roughly 360 delegates. He has about 100 more than I have. We have at this point beaten Donald in eight separate states all over the country, geographically, from Maine to Alaska, from Kansas to Texas, all over this country. We have beaten him. And, and so, for the people at home, if you're one of the 65, 70 percent of Republicans who recognizes that if we nominate Donald Trump, Hillary wins. That's why the media wants him to be the nominee so much. If you recognize that, then I want to invite you, if you've supported other candidates, come and join us. We are seeing candidates coming together and uniting. It's why Carly Fiorina Senator Ruby, I'll come you after I let Mr. Trump It's speak why Mike Lee here. endorsed me today. I ask everyone to come together, let's stand together, and let's beat Hillary Clinton All right, in Senator, November. Thank you, Mr. Trump, then to Senator Rubio. You know, I listen and I watch Ted on television and when he speaks and he's always saying, I'm the only one that beat Donald in six contests and I beat him. And, but I beat him in 13 contests. He never mentions that. And let me just tell you another little fact, little minor fact. Uh, I have about a million six hundred thousand votes during this primary season, more votes than Ted. The other thing is I beat Hillary and I will give you the list. I, we, I beat Hillary in many of the polls that have been taken, and each week I get better and better, and believe me, I haven't even started on her yet. Senator Rubio. 
Let me tell you what this election is about for me. And I, I get all the delegate math and all that debate. Let me tell you what it's about for me. On Tuesday night, I didn't do as well, obviously, as I wanted to. And I was a little bit disappointed when I got home. And my wife told me a story that night, which is the reason why I can get up the next day and keep fighting. There's a gentleman here in South Florida who just got out of surgery. And his doctors told him he needs to be home resting. But every afternoon, he takes his little aluminum chair and he sits outside of an early polling center and holds a sign that says Marco Rubio. Because for him, I symbolize all the sacrifices that his generation made so their children could have a better life than themselves. That gentleman has not given up on me, and I am not going to give up on him. I am going to work tirelessly every single day because this election is too important. What's at stake is the future of this country. And I believe, I believe that at the end of this process, this nation will make the right choice. Because I've always believed that God has blessed America, that God's hand is upon this country, and that its greatest days are yet to come. Thank you, Senator. Let's turn back to Stephen Dynan of The Washington Times. Stephen. Mr. Trump, one of your biggest selling points is that you are largely self-funding your campaign. Yes. And you argue your opponents are controlled by their special interest donors. Will you maintain your pledge not to take outside contributions throughout the general election? I have not made that decision yet. I will make a decision on that, but I have not made that decision yet. My decision was that I would go through the entire primary season, and I have turned down probably $275 million worth. I have many, many friends that come up all day long, $5 million, $10 million. I'm turning down money. I feel sort of foolish, to be honest with you. I don't know if I get any credit for it, but I'm self-funding my campaign. And other than, and, and by the way, other than very small donations where people are sending in $200, $15, $20, and we have some of that, but it's not a large amount. Uh, no, I'm self-funding my campaign. And the reason is that I've been in this business a long time, and I was on the other side until eight months ago. I was on the other side. I made massive contributions, large contributions to politicians, both Democrats and Republicans. I was liked by everybody, which is an important thing. I will say this. People control special interests, lobbyists, donors. They make large contributions to politicians, and they have total control over those politicians. I don't want anybody to control me but the people right out there. And I'm going to do the right thing. Senator Cruz, I want to come to you. The vast majority of Republicans and voters overall agree with Mr. Trump that candidates are beholden to people and groups who donate to their campaigns. Do you deny that those big donors do have influence? Uh, look, absolutely. And one of the things we're so frustrated about is the corruption, what I've called the Washington cartel. It's career politicians in both parties that get in bed with the lobbyists and special interests. And, and listen, Donald told you for 40 years he's been sitting at that table using his money to buy influence supporting liberal Democrats like Hillary Clinton and John Kerry, but also supporting the Republican establishment and funding their effort to crush the Tea Party. And now his argument is, after four decades of being part of that influence buying, after Hillary Clinton spending decades being part of that influence selling, that suddenly he will change. But the interesting point is, tonight he hasn't pointed to a single special interest he's willing to take on. He didn't take on Wall Street when he supported the TARP bailout in Wall Street. He won't take on ethanol. And my campaign, by contrast, Thank was you, funded by 1.1 million contributions all over this Thank country. $62 at tedcruz.org. That's who you got to be Trump accountable to, the people. Ted was given to PACs. I mean, PACs, you know, these super PACs are a disaster, by the way, folks. Very corrupt. It's going to lead to lots of disasters. 
But TED has super PACs, and you have to look at the people that are giving to those super PACs, number one. It's very important to do that. Uh, there is total control of the candidates. I know it better than anybody that probably ever lived. And I will tell you this. I know the system far better than anybody else, and I know the system is broken, and I'm the one, because I know it so well, because I was on both sides of it, I was on the other side all my life, and I've always made large contributions. And frankly, I know the system better than anybody else, and I'm the only one up here that's going to be able to fix that system, because that system is wrong. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Uh, Senator Ruby, I want to come to you with a question. At the last debate, you mocked Mr. Trump for being flexible. With so much gridlock in Washington, how can you expect to leave the country and get things done if you aren't willing to show flexibility? Well, I think you can be flexible about ideas. You shouldn't be flexible about your principles. About when it comes to ideas and working with people, I have a record of having done that. Listen, on the issue of higher education, I'm the only one that continually talks about student loan debt because I owed over $100,000 of student loan debt. So I know this is a major issue, and all my ideas that deal with higher education are bipartisan. The VA Accountability Act that I passed, I did it on a, on a bipartisan basis. The sanctions that I, helped, that I imposed on Hezbollah, I did it on a bipartisan basis. The Girls Count Act that, traf that, that deals with human trafficking, we did that on a bipartisan basis. But I also want to be frank. There are issues we're going to have to have an election over. When it comes to repealing and replacing Obamacare, that's not going to be bipartisan. When it comes to reducing the tax burdens on Americans, that's not going to be bipartisan. When it comes to shrinking the size of the federal bureaucracy, that's probably not going to be bipartisan. There are issues we can work together on, and we should. But there are fundamental issues about the proper role of government. And on those issues, I will fight anyone who wants to expand government, raise taxes, or weaken our military. Uh, Mr. Ralph, I want to give you a chance to respond, but specifically, you talked about flexibility, and one of the examples you gave was uh, the height of the border fence. What are some of the uh, other issues on which you're willing to show flexibility? It depends on what comes up. You never know. It depends on what comes up. Look, look, we had a great president, Ronald Reagan. We had Tip O'Neill, speaker. And what, what, what do we do? We take these two men that are very, very different men. They got along. They had relationships. And they got things done. And very beautifully, nobody's complaining about the deals that Ronald Reagan made. And he made it with Tip O'Neill. We need to have people get together and work good deals out. Good deals out from our standpoint. And I'll tell you this. It can be done. We don't want to continue to watch people signing executive orders because that was not what the Constitution and the, and the brilliant designers of this incredible document had in mind. We need people that can make deals and can work. Thank because you, right Trump. now in Washington, there's total, absolute gridlock. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I want to go to Governor Kasich on this, this issue of flexibility, sir. Well, look, uh, <clears throat> you know, my record speaks for itself. You know, what I talk about tonight is not theory. These are things that I've done. I was there when we reformed the Pentagon on a bipartisan basis to give control to the commanders in the field and force the services to work together. I was the chief architect, along with Senator Domenici, of the last time we balanced the budget and the first time since we walked on the moon. I was there when I worked on the welfare reform in Washington, and we got it done, and we eliminated the entitlement on welfare. I then went to Ohio and took Ohio from a basket case, working on a bipartisan basis to reform many things, including the Cleveland Public Schools, working with the Democratic mayor. My problem isn't that uh, people don't know this. They say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean you're too easy? Well, let me tell you, when we did the balanced budget, we cut the capital gains tax. We provided a family tax credit. We, sh we shrunk the government. In my state, 
The state of Ohio has the smallest government in the state of Ohio in 30 years. Conservative principles will work, but show respect to the other side. One final thing, in regard to Social Security, we will not get that done alone. We will have to have some responsible Democrats who will come in to fix the problem of Social Security. I know how to do it because I've done it and I'll do it again. Thank you, Governor. We have time for one last break. We'll be right back after this. Republican presidential debate just five days before the next primary elections. It is time now for closing statements. Candidates, you will each have one minute and we'll start with Governor Kasich. Well, I'd like to say to all of you, the American people, I have run an unwavering positive campaign for president of the United States. I've tried to be positive in such a way as to show my record, my accomplishments, my vision. And I wanted to raise the bar in presidential politics so our kids can take a look at the way you can run for president and you will someday maybe be president of the United States. You know, sometimes being positive isn't all that interesting, but it's very interesting to my family, my children, and so many supporters that I meet all across the country. And I will continue to run a positive campaign. I can fix the problems in Washington. I've done it before. And, in fact, I want to turn power, money, and influence back to you, the American people so that you can be in the schools and on the streets fighting drugs and dealing with the issues of poverty. We can do this together. Allow me to take care of the federal issues. When I send the power back and the money and the influence to you, then you can strengthen our neighborhoods and our families. That's where the spirit and strength of America is. But ask the people, my friends in Illinois, and and of course, my beloved Buckeyes, to uh, consider me on Tuesday. And please, let me have your vote. God bless. Senator Rubio, it is great to be here back at home in Miami. It's hard to believe that just two decades ago, my father was just a bartender working in this city. And now his son stands on the stage here as a candidate for the highest office in the land. My parents never wanted me to go into politics in particular or anything else. They just wanted me to have to be the opportunity to live out all the dreams they once had for themselves. And that was possible because America is a special country. But that was not an accident. America is great because each generation before us did what needed to be done. They solved their problems, they confronted their challenges, they embraced their opportunities. And for over two centuries, each generation has left the next better off. Now the moment has arrived for our generation to do our part. And I'm telling you tonight, if you vote for me here in Florida and everywhere across this country on Tuesday, when I'm elected president, this generation will do its part. We will do whatever it takes to ensure that our children inherit from us what we inherited from our parents the single greatest nation in the history of all of mankind. Senator Cruz. Senator Cruz. What an incredible nation we have that the son of a bartender and the son of a mailman and the son of a dishwasher and a successful businessman can all stand on this stage competing and asking for your support. In just a few months, One of us is going to stand on the debate stage with Hillary Clinton. And the choice we are making today is who will best defend our values, who will best defend your values and fight for you. I have to tell you, I cannot wait to stand on that stage with Hillary Clinton. 
and say, Madam Secretary, you are asking for a third term of a failed administration. You are asking for millions more to remain in stagnant jobs, for millions more steel workers to be out of work, for wages to remain low, for young people not to have a future. We can do better. We can instead repeal Obamacare, abolish the IRS, unleash millions of jobs, defend the Bill of Rights, defend the Second Amendment, religious liberty, stand with our cops and our firefighters and our soldiers, and we can keep America safe. That's the choice I will put to her this fall. Mr. Trump. Thank you very much. The Republican Party has a great chance to embrace millions of people that it's never known before. They're coming by the millions. We should seize that opportunity. These are great people. These are fantastic people. These are people that love our country. These are people that want to see America be great again. These are people that will win us the election and win it easily. These are people that once the election is won, will be able to put Supreme Court justices up that will do a fabulous job. Because let me tell you, if we lose this election, you're going to have three, four, or maybe even five justices, and this country will never, ever recover. It will take, it will take centuries to recover. So I just say, embrace these millions of people that now, for the first time ever, love the Republican Party and unify. Be smart and unify. And that concludes this 12th Republican presidential debate. We want to thank the candidates, the Republican National Committee, the University of Miami, and of course, each of you for watching. I'm Jake Tapper. Our coverage continues right now with Anderson Cooper. Anderson. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.